Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Today, we're going to actually focus on how to leverage analytics to produce smarter marketing data. And with us, we actually have uh, Dave Kelly, who is the CEO of Analytics IQ. I'm really looking forward to this session. And as you're joining, if you're joining us live, I really want to let you know that we're going to take questions um, and we're going to answer them throughout the session. There's no, you know, let's hold off until the end of the conversation to take your questions. So if you've got questions as you're joining, go ahead and ask them. We'll try to get through as many as we can. Let's go ahead and have this engaging and fun conversation. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up Dave Kelly. And as you're joining, also let us know where you're tuning in from. That's always interesting to see. All right. Hello, Dave. How's it going? Uh, fine, Kate. Good morning. Welcome to the Dedicated Show. Very excited to have you here and excited to learn all about Analytics IQ and how we can use analytics to really use data in a, in a smarter fashion. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I think as we kick off, maybe tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who is Dave Kelly? Um, well, I'm just a regular guy. I just happen to have been in the analytics business for 30 years now, which seems kind of crazy um, and really lucky, or at least for me, because I love it. And I found my way into this space somehow. And um, I started my current company 15 years ago with the mission of taking a scientific approach to producing marketing data. Thanks for that. So you mentioned scientific approach. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, um, so everything we do, we validate, you know, so if we predict that a consumer owns a cat, we actually try to make sure that it's the best prediction it can be and we validate it at the end. And while that sounds pretty basic, um, you know, it, it, that wasn't always how things were, at least when I got into the business. Yeah, what, let's let's hear a little bit more about that. How, how, how were things when you were just getting into the business? And I guess that was 15 years ago, right? When you started the, started the company? That's right. Um, the standard term for marketing data, or at least companies that produce marketing data is compilers. So if you kind of look at that word on its, on its face, it implies that it's compilation rather than um, than um, anything analytically or empirical. So compilation typically meant find you know go if you're looking at someone's age, you go out and say, okay, what does everyone have? You pull it together in a data set. And while that is important, you always want as much known data as you can get. When you look in our case at the U.S. market with 200 million U.S. adults, you can't know everything about everybody. There are a lot of things you need to predict, and we've also focused on things you can't know about everybody. You know that you can only predict. What What are some things that you can't know about everybody? Well, you can't know um, someone's motivations, for example. Um, it's possible that someone knows. Um, everyone's um, gender or ethnicity, but you can't, um, as a marketer, know people's motivations. You can only predict them. And that's been a focus of ours for the last five years or so. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. And we're already getting uh, quite a few people saying, just saying hello. Uh, we've got somebody from Canada. Hi, Kathleen. Thanks for tuning in. LinkedIn user. I recently just changed my settings, so I don't come up as LinkedIn user anymore. 
I guess this person has their privacy settings on. I know I know how to turn them off now if you want to message me. Um, Ayush here from Mumbai. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> Michelle from Orlando, um, Alberto. And we already have our, our first question here from Ayush. He's, he's focusing here on the skills required to be a marketing analyst. Um, and is it more marketing or, or more analytics in your perspective? Okay, good, good questions. Um, to be a marketing analyst in our perspective, it typically means some kind of STEM degree. So, you know, some scientific or math related degree. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've found typically people coming out of college with some background like that actually can be successful in this space with the right training. Um, and in terms of what we do, is it more marketing or more analytics? I would argue it's more analytics. We we make money by focusing our analytics on marketing. But you know, for from my perspective, you know, it's it's analytics. We produce mathematical formulas, actually fairly complex mathematical formulas. So I would say it's more analytics. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I know the topic of the day is, you know, how do we leverage analytics to produce smarter marketing data? So I think it makes sense for, for a quick definition. And how do you view smarter marketing data? Um, well, from my perspective, you know, it's, it's evolving and learning as you go. And I think this goes for any business. You know, you, um, you make mistakes along the way. You learn from them. You improve. And in our case, where we... Our business is essentially collecting data that we know about a small group of people and projecting this information out to the entire universe. So knowing things about a small group of people, um, we found the hard way isn't as simple as it seems. It's really simple if you're asking a question like, do you play tennis? Well, you know, people know whether they play tennis or not. That's pretty simple. Or, you know, do you have a dog? Um, yeah. But when you get into much more complex things around motivations, like why people do things, you know, um, what is someone's motivation for donating to a charity? Those are really complex things. And in that case, we've actually engaged with PhD cognitive psychologists and we have several on staff now because it was it's above my pay grade. And what we found is it's super important to to really know the right things about this small group of people before we take math and clone it out to the entire universe. That's very interesting. So you mentioned you're working with cognitive psychologists. Um, right. Are there other companies that are doing similar things? Because I, I haven't heard of that before. Uh, well, I think they are, but perhaps not exactly in what we're doing. Um, so, you know, understanding um, individuals' motivations is extremely important. I think large companies are starting to do that. In producing marketing data, I don't know that I've come across anyone else who's doing that at this point. Very, very interesting. And um, so you defined kind of the, the, the way we look at marketing and smarter data. How exactly and who exactly does analytics help? And how do they do it um, with, with actually getting that data or getting access to that data? So um, who we help are, I would say, our clients who typically are, are consumer product companies, insurance companies, you know, entities like that. And in a typical month, about a thousand different companies purchase our data. 
um, typically for online targeting, but, but there are other applications also. And fundamentally, I believe most companies want to understand their prospects and customers better. And I think that creates a better experience for consumers also. So if you think about it, um, you know, if you don't have a baby, do you, is it really um, important to you to see diaper ads? Or if you don't have a cat to see cat litter ads, you know, so we think it creates a better experience for everybody, the more um, everybody understands these, understands each other. Yes, you're reminding me of that. I think it was the Target um, incident, right, where the where the company knew before the actual parents of, of the teenager who, who was expecting a child and they were sending oh, the okay. targeted ads. I'm not sure if you <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if you heard that story. It was a no, I don't think I know about that one. Um, <laughs> what we try to emphasize is we're only predicting things. We don't know things, you know. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Absolutely. And uh, Kristen's here. Hey, Kristen. She she absolutely agrees with you. Um, know the right things about a small group of people. Absolutely. I feel like once you know a small group of people, it's, it's not that difficult to kind of make better predictions about the larger group. I right. noticed that every time I ran any sort of poll or survey, if the answers in the first hour, um, you know, showed that category A was going to win, almost 99%, you know, almost 100% of the time, category A was going to win even a month later after continuously people kept voting. Right. And I always found that to be so fascinating. Well, I know, you know, the sample and the population yeah. and all that statistics, but it's so true. I just love to see it happen every single time. Um, we had another question here from Alberto, and he's asking, how do you measure a successful marketing campaign with data or KPIs uh, in the business? Well, one thing I like about the new digital world is there's an immediate feedback loop. So most users, users of our data, they understand whether campaigns work or not because it's pretty immediate. And that, I believe, has always been good for us. I think it explains our pretty explosive growth in our business, especially in the digital world. In the traditional, what I would called world, which is still around, which is like direct mail targeting, it's a much longer process to understand whether something actually worked or not. And, um, and in some ways is a little bit more vague because there could always be other seasonal issues or, or something else happening. But with the modern world and digital targeting, um, I, I would probably say most of our clients or users of our data understand whether something worked or not pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And in terms of pretty quickly, are you able to put any timeframes or share share examples on that? Well, my understanding is if you did do a digital campaign, I mean, you um, these days, there's a, a really rapid feedback loop. So let's just call it probably hours, yeah. days. So, you know, you, you put it out there, you know if people clicked or not. Um, and especially the larger, more sophisticated companies have very rapid feedback. Yeah, and in a lot of cases, it's just real time, right? Like if I send an email to my email list, I can literally watch Google Analytics light up as people right. click links and go to websites. So, um, yeah, it's it's for the most part, I guess it's real time. In some cases, you do have hours or maybe a couple of days um, at the most. That's interesting. Um, all right, moving on. Oh, oh, Kristen is clarifying that target example. 
they mailed her some advertisements because yes and now with everything tracked right you use your credit card and every everything mm-hmm. is just it, it's a lot easier i think to to target uh, question here from Ayush. Can you please share any blogs, resources, um, maybe something on Analytics IQ that they can use to become better at marketing analytics? Um, well, one thing, uh, and I would imagine we were going to talk about this later, is we do have um, a data set that we'll let anybody download so they can get their hands on our data. And it's real data. And, you know, I feel like real data is always much better to to play with as an analyst. So, you know, I would encourage anybody who's interested, you know, to go to our website and, and download the data. And, and, you know, we love feedback from, from data scientists, you know, who have who's looked at our data and um, if they have any insights, you know, we're always super interested in hearing. Yes, I was actually just about to, I pulled up the link and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. gonna share that link of of your free data that you're sharing with the audience today in the comments. If you want to just tell tell the audience a little bit more about the data, um, that would be really helpful. I'll just add the link. Sure. Um, and I understand it's about 50 fields. And in reality, we have around 1,500 fields, a field being an individual thing that we're predicting, such as, you know, do you own a cat or you know, are you married and things like that. Um, but we've picked, chosen 50 that we think are representative um, that can kind of highlight, you know, um, the data and, and what it looks like. And, you know, again, we've always been big fans of having smart people, you know, put their hands on our data. So. Okay, yeah, excellent. And I, I always receive uh, questions from people who are trying to either get into data analytics or data visualization. Yes. They're always looking for a data set to play with, a data set to visualize and analyze. Uh, would you recommend this data set for, for people just wanting to get their hands on a good data set to, to either learn how to work with data or maybe build some sort of project or portfolio? Right, well, it's a pretty limited data set. So, uh, but I would say as it certainly um, could be a good starting point to at least understand what it looks like. And I will add, you know, we're partnering with a number of universities now to provide full data sets for, you know, aspiring data scientists to um, to leverage, you know, you know, in their academic work. Because, again, we've just always found for us, it's, it's great when people actually get to look at our data and use it. So um, and I think I, and I don't have the list of universities, but I believe we're up to around 10 now that we provide this data. So. Oh, great. So any students from those 10 or so universities mm-hmm. can get their hands on, on the full data set and Correct. start playing. That's Very right. Nice. Awesome. Great. OK, ready for more questions? Sure. OK, cool. So here's one from Michael. Uh, can you describe how to match Third-party data in the online environment, especially since cookies are on the way out. I wasn't aware that they're on the way out. I get asked about cookies everywhere. <laughs> um, that is the um, that is the assumption. I think it has to do with you know the different changes in browsers. Um, and while they're on their way out, I'd still say they're very a very big thing now. So mm-hmm. you know we um, 
an identity graph, which is through the industry term for having the ability to connect offline data to online data is really important. And fundamentally, our data lives where people live. So, you know, Dave Kelly, 123 Main Street, you know, that's what our data looks like fundamentally. We connect it through onboarding partners. You know, there are companies that just specialize in um, taking name and address data, looking, you know, using emails, looking um, mobile IDs, um, television IDs, other things to connect all this data. So we partner with right now two different companies that do that. And um, certainly we're um, aware of what's going on in the world and highly motivated to make sure data can stay connected. And I'm pretty confident that that's not going to interrupt our business. Even if we do find three, four years from now that cookies are just a thing of the past. Yeah, I feel like things will always evolve into, into something else. We just kind of have to keep up with, with the trends. I know GDPR is now limiting a lot of the data use. And as you mentioned, connecting online and offline um, records to build those identity graphs. Um, I wanted to ask, since you're so you know knee deep in this space, what are some other obstacles that companies or, or people are facing when they're trying to work with data in, in the marketing space? Um, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, privacy is a paramount concern these days. And, you know, respecting privacy is always has to be the forefront of anything that you look at around marketing data. And mm -hmm. I've always felt like we've always tried, well, not tried, we have been on the right side of it. And none of our data comes from, for example, scraping from the internet and things that um, perhaps could be questioned by a lot of people around, you know, respecting privacy. Um, but otherwise, you know, um, like you said, um, when there are opportunities, when there's market demand, somehow things flow. And um, so, you know, in our case, you know, we, you know, have always managed to evolve with the industry um, and with the market needs. So I don't know if I answered your question, by the way, I feel like I got off track there. No, 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 you're, you're all good. Um... I just, I made a note to myself and my handwriting is so bad that I honestly can't read my notes. I love, <laughs> I was teaching my first grader uh, proper handwriting and she, she actually made a comment. She's like, but, but I can't even understand your handwriting. I'm like, yes, thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess we can, we can take this question here. Um, while I try to decipher my own writing from Rufumo, he's asking, does the analytics space only involve individuals with math background? Because he heard you say that you involve psychologists to assist with certain reasons, you know, related to individuals' motivations. Yeah, good question. So our company has a diverse group of, of skill sets. We have data scientists who I would say typically have a math background. Mm -hmm. So when you think about taking data and modeling out the universe, those are typically mathematicians or data scientists. We have cognitive psychologists who help us collect the data, ask the right questions. That's another skill set. And then certainly we also have accountants and other, you know, types, salespeople who help drive the business and help us stay organized. Um, but if you look at the boots on the ground, as I would say, 
it's mathematicians and cognitive psychologists. Okay, thank you for sharing that. And as you answered that, I was, um, I remember the question I wanted to ask is, you mentioned that you don't do any web scraping um, off the internet. So my question to that was going to be, what are your main sources of data collection? So fundamentally, we use just public data. So in the United States, that consists of like census data, for example, public record data. So you know when you when you buy a home in the United States, it's now public record where you paid for it and some other details. So this public information fundamentally is what we use as inputs. And it's an iterative process. So if you now this 15 years, you model something like whether someone owns a cat. Well, that model helps you build other things that aren't even related to owning a cat in the future because now we know something about an individual. So having been at this, at a, at this that long, underneath it all is public data, but all these predictions we made over the years help us um, do other things better as we go along. So even predicting someone's motivations helps us model perhaps, you know, our next predictor, whether someone owns a cat will be better because we have predicted, you know, um, how they donate money, for example. You've mentioned cat quite quite frequently. So now I have to ask, do you have a cat or multiple cats? Uh, not multiple cats. I'm not a cat person, but I do have one cat actually. So that, and he's sitting in the chair over here. So that's sort of. Okay, so maybe he's top of my, I have a cat too. I actually have to lock the, lock my door so she doesn't come yeah. in because the cat walking by is, you know, might be distracting. But I just wanted to ask since you, you brought up cats for, um you know, for, for most of the examples, I had to had to clarify. Well, I usually use that as an example because it's sort of a um, very clear thing. You know, yeah. other things we do are less clear. So I, yes. I always use that one because it's like, okay, that's it's a fact whether you own a cat or not. Yeah, easy to relate <laughs> to, exactly, absolutely. Um, okay, great. So question here from Awapa. How do you quantify human behavior? What variables do you use to represent personalities? So a great question. Um, and again, I, I'm not a cognitive psychologist, um, but I've been fortunate enough to partner with some. So when you think about motivations and what's inside, we've learned um, as we go to treat it very similar to a personality test. And I think a lot of us have taken those tests at some point, you know, like there's the, the big 16, I think, which is, you know, whether you're, um, well, actually, I forget the description, but you know whether you're um, introverted or in, yeah, introverted or extroverted, and you know that those sort of things. So, yeah. if you if you have familiar with if you're familiar with those kinds of tests, typically you'll see the same question multiple times asked different ways, and that's fundamentally how you get at things about people that often they don't even know about themselves. So before I took a personality test, I couldn't have told you what my personality was. I didn't know. Very similar when we're predicting whether someone is extrinsically motivated to donate money, meaning they want the attention related to donating money or intrinsically motivated, meaning they would only donate money if no one found out. Um, again, um, something like that, typically you get at that by asking questions a lot of different ways. You throw out 
I'll use the word deceptive. It's not always intentional deception, but it's at least not consistent answers. Mm -hmm. And that's fundamentally how we try to get a pure data set. But again, the best way I could describe it is it's very similar to way personality testing is done, where you ask a lot of peripheral questions, you um, in, in a way model that data at the end it's handed off to our data scientists who go, okay, thanks for modeling that. Now we can clone it to our entire universe. Yeah, I think um, it's the Myers-Briggs test. Is that the right. when you were one of those? I had to take quite a bit of those personality tests um, earlier in my career. When you're joining a, a big firm, they want to know what kind of person are you? Do you want to work in a team or work by yourself? And I remember five of the questions were worded slightly different. I'm like, how, how many times are they going to ask me the same thing? I already told them, like, yes, I like to do this. Or, you know, I prefer right. to work that way. Uh, but I guess that's the only way you can actually get to the bottom of the motivations and the personalities. Uh, because we can say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm social or I'm extroverted. And then right. put you in a situation and you're kind of shy playing with your phone. Then maybe you're not as social as you thought you were. Um, and I think those questions can determine that better than you can determine yourself. I agree. And, and I think we often have myths about ourselves. And yeah. so breaking that down is sometimes difficult because our, our goal is to understand, you know, the, the people that we're surveying the best we can. Mm -hmm. So like I said, to do that, it does involve um, some deep psychology. Yeah. I guess that's why you have the cognitive psychologists on board for, right. for that. Correct. Great. All right. Going on to Archita, she says, hey, Dave, could you give us an insight on how complex it is to choose a small set to represent a population with an example and what factors come into play while doing so? So it depends on what we're doing. Sometimes it's not at all complex. Um, like I said, the the first time we built the aforementioned cat model, that was easy. That's probably something we did before we even, you know, started working with a cognitive psychologist, pretty simple. Um, and if we were just trying to create what I would call traditional marketing data, I don't know that we would have needed cognitive psychologists because mm -hmm. fundamentally I would call traditional marketing data looks at um, in my opinion, what you are, and it's typically things you can't change about yourself or you can't easily change, age, gender, marital status, education, you know, and those are important things. And, and we have those things and, and we do the best job possible with those things. But our focus increasingly has turned to who people are. So it's what's inside, what's their motivation. And we find that this is important to our clients to really understand you know, why someone, um, what need does someone have? So that if you're a, a, a business, you're essentially in the business of meeting people's needs. So mm -hmm. understanding that is typically when it became very complex to, for us. And that is when we first partnered with a cognitive, cognitive psychologist and we determined we needed to bring cognitive psychology in-house because it gets very complex when you get away from the basics of, of what somebody is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it makes so much sense to have them in-house because then they're, you know who you're working with and also they, they kind of understand your data and can put, all, put all that together. Absolutely. 
So you mentioned working with clients and I just wanted to touch on how do you actually work with companies? So you mentioned that, I guess, at any point in time within a month, you can have over a thousand different companies download your your data sets. And just curious, do they get to take a peek at what, you know, what are the variables that are in the data sets or how does that actually work? Well, just to be clear, um, part of our business is digital targeting. So these are these marketplaces where it's totally hands off. Our data okay. is onboarded, it's delivered to one of these large platforms. They work with hundreds or thousands of different companies. And uh, I, I'm not an expert exactly on how they access our data, but, but my imagination is that they say, okay, we're targeting, you know, based on these characteristics, you know, so, um, and perhaps it's certain age range, um, you know, certain activities um, that they'll say, okay, we want to target based on these particular characteristics. Another way we work with clients, and it's a significant way, is we deliver our data to analytics teams at large companies. So perhaps it's a large insurance company. They'll, um, they'll take a quarterly feed from us as we produce a new file, and they take the entire universe. And they internally build thousands of models, whatever they're trying to predict about their customers or their prospects. So, you know, they'll, like I said, they'll take, bring our data in. They have these teams of data scientists. And so they'll get refreshed data from us. And, you know, we always keep everything we've always created, but we create about 50 new fields a quarter. So, mm -hmm. so they get a chance to look at these new things and whether that can help them predict, you know, things better. Mm -hmm. So um, that's typically the two main way that we work with our clients. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, we got Jose here saying, thanks, Dave. He'd like to see that data set. So I will put the link in the comments again before we wrap up the session, just to make sure if people are just, you know, joining right now, there is a data set that Analytics IQ is providing that you can go and uh, download for free. Um, okay. Going to go down to a question here. I saw from George Ferrican. Hello, George. Thanks for joining us here. His uh, question is: Is there a success story from one of your clients that used Analytics IQ that you can share with us? Sure. Um, thanks, George. And and I'll use the same one I used when I was on his program because um, it's top of mind. Uh, we work with a a really large um, nonprofit in the United States, um, one of the leading children's cancer charities. So it's a, it's an important thing for us, you know, not, not just from a business perspective, but from a personal perspective. So we've worked with this client for quite a while. We have had an opportunity to tour their facility and I would describe it as life-changing in terms of looking at their mission. So it's not um, selling more toothpaste or more insurance products. It's actually saving children's lives. So for us, it's a very personal and important thing. And we were fortunate enough to work with them initially to help make Facebook work for them in terms of targeting. And, you know, um, when you look at their business, I feel like there's it's um, they have a, a great message, but they have disparate messages. One message is perhaps you know, the image of a child suffering from cancer, um, very sad, um, appeals to everyone. I think, you know, everyone can have empathy for that. 
They also have a message, which is how successful they've been in increasing the, um, the survival rate for childhood cancer over the years. Both great messages. And one thing that we found is that um, when you look at the, what I would call the impulsivity scale or the spectrum, which means in everybody somewhere on the spectrum. So you could be over here, which is extremely conscientious. So really conscientious people need a lot of information. If they're buying a car, they visit a lot of car dealers. They do a lot of research. Impulsive people buy a car from the first car dealership they go to and go, they drive it and they get attached and, oh, cool, I'm going to buy it. So those are the two ends of the spectrum and we all fall somewhere on there. Um, and there's no, you know, no problem wherever someone falls. But if you look at the message from this charity where the message about the survival rate appeals much more to conscientious people, it's like a fact, it's information. Um, the image of a child suffering from cancer, while it does appeal to everyone, it's much more, um, or it works better with impulsive people who are more emotionally driven, they have emotional reactions, they act on their emotions. So, you know, I would just say in a real, real world case study, that is in, in our mind, at least how those two things can work and understanding individuals better and what's inside. That's how, um, how it could have an impact on, you know, on a nonprofit or on a business. So when you really get at what's inside, you can tailor a message to what drives the individual. Wow, that's that's a really amazing example that actually saves lives. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think I also just realized I'm probably more on the impulsive side, um, probably with the child and make a donation. So I think that company's listening. Too, actually, so, yes. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, there's a there's a question here actually on Facebook. So uh, from Michelle. So it might be relevant. When you consider the Facebook example of gathering data to target advertise, how does this compare? And I guess you were you were just talking about that as an example as Michelle asked that question. But if you have anything to add, um, well, not really. Um, you know, Facebook has other unique data that can be used that can be highly effective. You know, because it's it's within their platform and it's based on behavior within Facebook. It stays in that world. However, we believe that our data can add something to that because that data typically is oriented around, again, what someone is. Uh, but we feel like our data still has a place there um, along with the universe of data that's available within Facebook. Yeah, and I was actually, uh, I wanted a follow-up question to, to your example with, with the children's cancer nonprofit. Let's say, so now you know there's a group of people that are on the impulse side and then the conscientious side, and you know which ad to kind of show to each of those groups. On the execution side of things, is it possible to kind of know, like, who who am I, for example, on Facebook? Is there a way to link all of that data together to make sure that I get to see that specific ad that will work better for me? There, there is. So, yes. you know, you yeah. it is... It goes through a privacy wall, it's de-identified, but fundamentally yeah. um, Facebook knows that it's you, right? The yes. advertiser doesn't, the advertiser doesn't see your information unless you reach out and become a customer. 
not an expert on all things Facebook, but fundamentally in digital targeting, that is the way it works. That's how you protect privacy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, again, they don't they don't know it's Kate. They yeah. just know it's a person with these characteristics whom they want to target an ad. They know it's Kate if you reach out and become a customer. Mm-hmm. Okay, that helps to clarify. Thank you. Um, okay, Jamie here uh, says thank you for the webinar and has a couple of questions. So let's start with question one. How is it going to change marketing analytics on the web with fewer or no cookies? Again, are people really using less cookies? But anyways, and then which models or analytics techniques are most important to know and master in the field? So maybe let's start with question one, the mm-hmm. prediction of changes of how marketing analytics will change without cookies. And then I'll pull it up. Um, well, I, w- I wish I knew, totally. Uh, I would say there are two trends, whereas cookies you know, are at least threatened with um, demise. It also aligns with the move to um, mobile, much more iPads, phones, you know, other tablets. Um, so those two things are happening together. And while there aren't cookies typically on, in mobile interactions, there are mobile IDs that are de-identified. So again, you know, I have an iPhone, but you don't necessarily, um, a marketer doesn't know that it's Dave Kelly. There is a mobile ID, which is not a personal identifier that can connect data. So those two trends are happening at the same time. And if I had to guess, I would say five years from now, um, the the incidence of people using um, their like PC is gonna to continue to decline anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still think cookies will be around to some extent. Um, not, again, not a total expert on that, but that's what I would um, that's what I would guess. Well, we don't have a crystal ball, right? All you can do is share your, share your thoughts, that's it. Exactly, and we all kind of have to see what happens. Yes. Uh, in terms of um, what to master, um, be honest with you, the, the world continues to get more sophisticated. I think, you know, in an academic set, setting, certainly learning about the traditional ways of predicting, you know, regression, um, decision trees, things like that, neural networks is important, but also learning about, you know, more about machine learning, about artificial intelligence. I just feel that's a great way to step in the world. You know, but I think one thing that surprises people when they come out of an academic setting to a business is that, well, in a business, you know, we're not, um, there might be a function, which is research and development. We have that ourselves. Data scientists that come in, we're looking for them to learn our process and use that process. You're certainly open to improvement, but, you know, unless you're stepping into an R&D role, um, probably you're going to use whatever methodology this company has decided best works for their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And see, we've got Ravit Jane here from PACT saying you are fantastic. That's always a good comment. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> um, and he also has a question here. So where do you see analytics IQ in the next three years? Again, get your crystal ball out, please. Let us know. <laughs> Well, we, we intend to keep growing. You know, we, our intention is to hire around 10 or 11 individuals this year. We've already hired a few within this year, maybe four. And so we continue, you know, we've grown very rapidly. We were fortunate enough even to grow during the pandemic. Um, even though I would say there was a decline overall, 
in, um, in marketing data usage during the pandemic, we actually still grew. And, you know, um, we, we predict rapid growth. And with that, we'll need more data scientists and we'll need other individuals to help support that growth. Great. So you are, you're hiring. Is that something people can find on the website if they feel like they, they're fit and want to inquire and learn more? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Analytics IQ, everybody go and <laughs> check it out. Okay, great. Um, another question here. Uh, what are the common marketing analytics use cases using publicly available data sets? I know we went through a couple of examples, but do you have maybe another example that you can share of uh, marketing analytics use cases? Um, well, not really. I mean, to be honest with you, we, we certainly have um, white papers and we have, uh, you know, various, um, drawn a blank on the term, but, um, like ways that we've shown how our data works in different industries and things like that. Happy to share those things. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are more protected because while we we do want people to look at how we do things, we don't always want our competitors to see everything. But having said that, you know, happy to share. Um, and I think some things are just totally available on our website and other things we ask just for you to sign in. But mm -hmm. again, happy to share. Um, Case, case studies, that was the term I was looking for. Oh, case, case studies. Okay, sorry, I should have helped you with that one. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was something really basic. Great. Um, and uh, Ravit's, Ravit's here again saying that it's lovely to see that, you know, analytics IQ is hiring during the pandemic. I know that's, I guess, pretty rare um, to to thrive and, and to actually hire during this, during this time. Um, I'm going to share my screen for a second to show people basically the landing page, and I'll share that link again of the data set that um, you're giving away. So your free sample of Analytics IQ data is a click away. And here's a little bit about the information. You basically submit your info below and you get to download their free sample data file as 500 individuals with 50 attributes. That's that's quite a bit of uh, attributes there. So uh, definitely encourage people to go ahead and check this out. As I mentioned, I will share the the link again right now as we wrap up um and dave i just wanted to ask you know if there's anything else you want to share with the audience and also let them know where they can go to continue the conversation um it, you know if they have more questions that maybe we didn't get to today um absolutely um don't have anything else to add i really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show um for me personally feel free to reach out to me on linkedin or Dave K at analytics-iq is my email address. Feel free to reach out to me directly. Always happy to have a conversation. Okay, great. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining me on the dedicated show today. It was really insightful for me to learn. And thank you so much for those who participated with their comments and questions. I think it always helps uh, make the conversation a lot more engaging when we can answer questions directly from the audience. It's It's almost as if People are just raising their hand and we're calling on them as we go. Um, so I appreciate everybody that joined and tuned in. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. All right.